Welcome to the Harvest City Podcast. We are a church in the East African port city of Durban, South Africa. Get to know us better at harvestcity.co.za or at Harvest City DBN on socials. We are currently going through a series called Work and we hope you enjoy this message. This evening we're going to look at uh, the parable of the talents and um, you know, probably if you've been here for the last couple of weeks of our work series, some of it's been a little bit philosophical as we've looked at Genesis 1 and 2 uh, uh, and trying to build a framework of understanding work as vocation, as calling. Uh, and then we looked at Genesis 3 last week, uh, trying to understand something of work as toil. Uh, but my hope is that tonight will be quite practical. Um, and and that as we look at the parable of the talents, that hopefully some really practical stuff will help us as we engage uh, with work. So one of the things I've, I've tried to fuss through, try to understand, is why some people really succeed and some people really struggle. Why is it that some people um, just always seem to get better at things and some people, it seems, no matter what they do, they just never seem to get a break. Um, and I don't know what the answer is to that at all. But my, I once, while pondering that, came to the parable of the talents, and, uh, which is an interesting parable that I think deals with some of these kind of issues. And uh, so as we think about work, we want to try and fuss through some of this uh, stuff here. I was once kicked out of a varsity lecture. Can you believe it? Um, it really did happen. And it wasn't even my lecture, which was the worst thing. I had gone there to go be with a mate and then got kicked out because I started laughing uncontrollably in the lecture. And I started laughing uncontrollably in the lecture because I had sat there while the lecture was going on. It was quite a big lecture in Howard College campus. And I'd sat there, you know, and I was briefly chatting to my mate next to me, and I was like, hey, how's your job going at Spriggs? And he was like, oh, you know, I got fired. And then I just laughed, and I laughed, and I was laughing. It's like, how do you get fired from a waitering job? You know, well, apparently it happens more regularly than I, than I thought. Um, but I think it did make me realize how sometimes uh, jobs don't come as easy uh, as we think. And... Um, and today, as we've been fussing through work, um, and, and Callum will continue as we close our series next week to fuss through this idea of work and the value of work, um, my hope is that we'll have some really practical stuff that will help us, and hopefully help us not to get fired from either the job we're in now or uh, the, the job that we are going to. So, parable of the talents, or as the NIV says, the parable of the bags of gold. So just some context, the first thing you've got to know about this parable is it's not talking about talents, actual talents. Talents was a unit of weight, um, and that unit of weight was uh, the equivalent to about 6,000 denarii. Denarii was the day's wage uh, at that time. So when someone is given one talent of gold, they are given about 6,000 days worth of wages. And if you take a six-day work week and kind of Jewish kind of like uh, 
days off that they would have had in the year. This is about 20 years worth of wages that they get given. So basically, this story is telling about people that are given a lot of money. Like this is a lot of money. If you think about it, the, the first guy where he's given five talents, he's given a hundred years worth of wages to go and invest, essentially. Um, and even the guy who's only given one, you often feel sorry for the guy. You're like, shame, that guy's got one talent, you know? Like, was he not good at anything else? No, he was given 20 years worth of, of wages to, to go invest. He was given a lot of money. Um, and, and so when we look at this, first we've got to bear in mind this context that, that this is not talking about like your talent, like I can run fast, you know, this is my talent. It's, it's talking about someone who was given, uh, in, given money by his master, essentially, by his boss. He was given a lot of money and he was told to go and invest that. The second thing we've got to bear in mind when we understand the context of this is that they didn't have stock markets back then. So, you know, the guy gives you a lot of money and then you go, oh, you know, going to put that on Bitcoin, you know, or I'm going to put that on Tesla or something. You know, it wasn't an easy process to get rid of or to work a hundred years worth of wages or, uh, or you know, 40 years worth of wages or 20 years worth of wages, it wouldn't have been an easy task. It would have required a lot of effort. They would have had to have taken that money. They would have had to go and buy a field, buy a bakery, take over Jesus' carpentry business. I don't know. Like they would have actually had to go on and use that money to buy other things, to hire people, to get those people working. It would have been a lot of effort from their, on their part. They, uh, this is not just like us in our days, someone gives you a lot of money, like, please, can you invest that for me? And you're like, cool, I'm going to invest in Tesla or Apple or Sassel or, you know, whoever you, you want to invest in or Bitcoin or Ethereum or how, you know, however it is that, that you want to do that. It's not like that. They would have actually had to go on and buy stuff and turn that stuff into work and profit and probably a lot of work in those days. Um, so they are given this amount of money um, and there is this expectation, you certainly get this by the end, that they are going to do something with that money to reap a return. That money has been given to them to do something with it and to reap a return for the master. And this is something of the context of this uh, parable. So here you've got three guys. They're given different amounts according to their kind of gifts, their strengths, their, um, how good they are at something. Master's thought about that, gives them these amounts, uh, and now they've got to put it to work. And then what we see as uh, the story goes, it's that two have done this well and one has not done it at all. They have hidden it in the ground uh, um, they've just tried to make sure nothing happens to it. And then they get into trouble, you know, like unlucky, poor guy. He's still got the money, but he gets a real grilling for, for it. Um, and, and there's five things that I kind of want to highlight from this that hopefully will help us as we think about work and as we think about our lives as work that, that will hopefully help us. The first is the idea of stewardship, um, 
I, I think in today's day and age, we probably don't like the idea of stewardship as much. Um, but stewardship is this idea that you are given the management or the care of something. You're entrusted something um, to do something with that for, for someone else. You're, you're given resources. You're given, handed an organization or, or something like that. You are entrusted to do something fruitful with uh, the resources or, or the organization that is given you. What happens in this parable is three guys are stewards of the master's resources, of the master's funds, of the master's bags of gold. They were stewards of those resources. They've been entrusted with it. They have been given the master's resources, which they're going to have to give back. Um, they've been entrusted to do something with it. Um, and stewardship is this idea of being entrusted something um, with the expectation that you will do something incredible with it, hopefully make it grow um, if it's money or if it's an organization, make sure it stays healthy, etc., etc. Um, and then one day, it's not yours, you, you will have to give that back. Um, and the reality is, is we are all stewards in some way or another. Uh, primary, we are stewards of God's resources because we believe even the very life that we have is God's life, that God has given us life. He's entrusted us life. Even as, um, you know, we've prayed now for Don and Anarita, like the part of parenting is stewardship, is believing that this child that you have has been given to you from the Lord and you are entrusted for a period to build into, to do good in, in the child's life. And hopefully, as they do that, Lume will grow up, serve the Lord, be fruitful. Um, you know, even if they do that, our hope is always that our children will succeed us, will be better than who we are because of... Um, how we've raised them. But stewardship is, is this like we are all stewards that we have been given a life. Um, even as the Bible says, you know, even the cattle on a thousand hills, everything is God's. Even the money that we have in, the, in our banks, even our savings, even every part of who we are and what we have is God's. And we stewards. We've been given that to bear fruit, to use it in a way that will be fruitful. But we also stewards at work, which um, this is the part I think we really hate about stewardship, is we hate the idea of working for profit for our bosses. Anyone hate that? You're like, I work so hard and they get the profits, you know, and like, hate this, I just want to work for myself. Um, and then you want to hire people and go through the same cycle. But anyway, um, but, but, you know, we often hate this, you know, like this idea of like, oh, you know, I don't know if I want to work so hard because my boss is going to be the one who's going to reap the benefits of my labor, etc., etc. But stewardship is this idea that I can be entrusted with something and I can deliver a profit from that thing that I've been entrusted and be able to hand it back responsibly. Um, 
And, and work, I think the people who succeed at work are the people that understand this, understand stewardship, that aren't just seeking the benefit of themselves, they're seeking the benefit of the organization in which they're in. They're seeking to steward the, the position and the responsibility and the stuff that they are given, that part of being a good worker is being a good steward is understanding that you have been entrusted with something that is not yours, and will you do good with that thing? Will you do good? Will you be able to bear fruit? Will you be able to cause that thing to grow? Will you be able to make a profit? Will you, in, in your space, in the little bit of work that you've been given, or the lot of work that you've been given, will you be able to take that and cause it to grow? That's stewardship. These guys were given something, and the expectation was that they would be able to make it grow. Um, what is amazing here is you don't know up front whether they're going to be rewarded or not. Their expectation is just that they are given something, they've got to do something, they've got to give it back. There's no hint here that you know whether they're going to be rewarded or not but they are faithful stewards with even the unknownness of reward. And they do get rewarded. Um, one of the things that I find quite funny about this passage is, uh, <laughs> I don't know if, isn't this true of life? Your reward for being successful and being responsible is that you get given more responsibility. Uh, I sometimes think that's what we want. Like, we want to you know, we're like, oh, if I get given this responsibility, then I'm going to have a job where I don't have any responsibility. And then you do it really well, and you get rewarded with more responsibility. And, and that's what happens here, essentially, is that these guys successfully take on the responsibility and then are given more responsibility. They go from having five talents, multiplying it to ten, and then having the responsibility over even more stuff. Um, but we are stewards. That is part of um, our role in life is to realize we are stewards. We ourselves have been given stuff from God. And I think part of being a good worker, part of doing work well is to understand this idea of stewardship, that when you go into a place, when you're in a workplace, uh, that you are a steward of, of someone's resources. You are a steward of an organization's uh, stuff. You're a steward there to bring about profit. Now, this sounds like capitalism. I get that. Um, but the idea I'm trying to get here is that even God requires, expects from us that he has given us stuff with our lives. What are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with it? And one of the things that I love about this is this is told in the context of Jesus back. Jesus tells a whole bunch of parables about him coming back. And uh, um, at his return, what is going to happen? And one of the things that I think all the theologians highlight about this passage is the stewardship of our lives reaps reward beyond our lives. That, the steward, that what we do now matters not just for now, but for eternity. 
that stewarding well now, when the return of the master comes, when Jesus comes back, will result in rewards for his people beyond this life. That the way that we live our lives, the way that we use our resources, the way that we do work, the way that we give our energy to things, the way that we use our time, the way that we steward what God has given us, will have an effect beyond this life alone. And so we want to be faithful stewards. I guess the question we could ask all of us is, what have we been given? What is it that you've been given? What uh, are you a steward of now? What is it that we need to reframe our thinking about when we think about what we have? Are there areas that we have to remind ourselves that we are stewards of this thing? What's interesting about this is I think one of the challenges that we have is we, we can often think that other people should be stewarding us well. Um, but the responsibility here is to steward the resources well, um, uh, to take responsibility, to manage what you have, uh, even if it seems a little harsh, as uh, this can seem a little bit, to manage what you have well, uh, uh, to steward, to treat the resources that you've been given as if you need to give an account for them. The second thing that I find fascinating about this parable is that it, there's an issue of time that comes up over and over again. Um, I don't know if you noticed this when it was read, um, but the issue of time comes up. It says, uh, it says, the man who received the five bags of gold went at once, or uh, another translation says, went immediately. And, and then it says, also, the one with two bags of gold went at once or immediately. Um, and and then it says, and the master took a long, long time before he returned. There's this, it's like the, the Jesus, while he's telling the parable, is giving this idea of time in it that these guys started at once, took a really long time. You know, like they could have got tired in the process, but they didn't. Um, and then the other fascinating thing is that no mention of time is ever given to the third guy. You don't know what he did. It doesn't, you don't know when he buried the bag of gold. Um, so you know the other two, as it says, at once they did something with it. The third guy, you don't know what he did. You don't know when he did it. You don't know whether he sat with that bag in his room for a while and then like started like, yo, this is like scary. Someone could just break in. So now I need to do something with it, fussed around. Uh, you, you don't know how long it took him to bury that bag of gold. Um, it doesn't give us any idea of that. And one of the, the things is uh, uh, that some people believe in the way that the story is told is that you actually get an idea that the third guy is like casually lazy or procrastinating 
what to do with this thing until he becomes so anxious about it that the only thing he can do is bury it. He's just like, ah, don't know. Buries it for, for safekeeping. But the other two, you get this idea that they immediately take on the, the responsibility to get on with the job that they've been given. <laughs> no one did, fortunately. Um, but, but you, you know, you, I, I think one of the, the amazing things... Uh, sorry. <laughs> My thought just... <laughs> um, but you, you, you can get this idea. You know, like... Oh, one of the things that the, the guys say, the theologians say about this is I think something that is brought up is, is the idea that none of us actually know our time, how much time we've got. We don't know. They don't know when the master's coming back. They don't know that. In fact, they probably could have thought that maybe he would come back in a year. Maybe it took five years. Maybe it took 10 years. Uh, but we don't know how much time we are given uh, on this life. Uh, anything could happen to us. Some of us probably know people who, who you thought there's no way that, that their life could be over at this age. And, and yet, sometimes that is the tragedy of our lives, is that, is that you just don't know. You don't know when your time is up. Um, it could come now. It could come, you know, for me, maybe it will come in 80 years' time if I live really old. You never know. Um, but we don't know the time, the allotment of time that we've been given. And so I've heard this many a time in my years of being pastors. Some people say this, oh, you know what, Jamie, I'm going to just earn a lot of money. When I've got a lot of money, then I'm going to give it to, to God's work, and God's going to use me that way. But the thing is, you don't know. You just don't know if that day is ever going to come. If we keep on delaying our responsibility, if we keep on delaying this idea, if we keep on putting off time, what can end up happening is we become like the third servant, is the third servant ends up just burying the stuff that he's been entrusting, doing absolutely nothing with it until the day of his reckoning. And at the day of his reckoning, he's got nothing to show for what he's been stirred because he keeps on delaying time. But the other two, they take the responsibility on immediately. At once, they've given this task and they put it to work. They put the money that they've been given to work. I don't know how long they thought the master was going to take, but certainly Jesus tells the parable uh, in a way in which they probably doubted whether he was ever coming back. You know, like, did the master die along the way? Can we spend this money? Can, you know, like, he's never going to come back. We're going to do, you know, we're just going to, do whatever we want. It, it's, the idea is it's such a long time. But these guys start at once, and for a long period of time, over and over and over, they take that money and they put it to work, and they put it to work, and they put it to work, and they are faithful even when the master doesn't look like he's coming back. And this is part of how I think we are called to do work, even the work for the Lord is that once we're called to put what we have been entrusted to, to work. At once. 
not to delay, not to put it aside, not to wait till one day. Um, I, I was listening to a guy this week talk, talking a little about, bit about time management, and he says, he says the, the tendency for us to always start diets next week or always to start an exercise plan next week or always to decide we're going to give uh, you know, to the church or to some organization next month. The tendency to do that, to always put it off till another time, is this belief that at some arbitrary time in our lives, in our future, we'll feel, be, we'll feel better about doing something we don't want to do right now. And when you think about it that way, you're like, how true is that? Like, I'm going to start diets in a week's time. You're like, you're hoping that in a week's time, you're actually going to want to do this because you don't want to do it right now. I think part, people who are able to do things well are people who are able to do things immediately, even when they don't want to. I don't know why the third guy delayed. And I don't know what drove those two guys to do it immediately. But you get this idea from Jesus' parable that time is important. And the way that we use our time is important. The way that we use our time. God hasn't just entrusted us with resources. He hasn't just entrusted us with gifts. He hasn't, uh, we haven't just been entrusted with stuff in our workplace. But we've also been entrusted with time. And we are to use it well. Don't put off things. If, if you feel like you've been called to do something, don't put it off for tomorrow. Don't wait. Do it today. The third thing is this, is this idea of excuses. Um, one of the things I, I find funny about this passage is... Uh, you know, essentially this parable is talking about Jesus and his followers at some point. But uh, it's, it's the third guy has a whole bunch of excuses. And I remember I had this friend, Maxine, who was part of a church I was part of uh, called Red Point. And Maxine always used to say this to me. She was like, Jamie, the blood of Jesus covers our sins, but it doesn't cover our excuses. I was like, oh, <laughs> chips. That's a... Uh, that's not nice, especially because I was the king of times. Um, but this guy has a whole bunch of excuses for why he hasn't done something. He makes up an excuse. And essentially what he's doing is he's assigning blame outside of himself. He's assigning blame outside of himself. The other two guys have managed to do it fine. No blame no, they're not blaming any circumstances. This guy, who probably actually had the easiest job of all of them, uh, had the least amount of resources to do something with, probably the easiest job of all of them uh, in, in those kind of days, is the one who just has excuse after excuse after excuse. Ah, oh, you know, I thought you were like this. Ah, oh, that. Ah, oh, what, whatever. You know, he, he is assigning blame outside of himself. He's making excuses for why he hasn't done something with what he has been entrusted for. Um, I, 
in 2017, I went to this, uh, this, I guess essentially was a, a series of workshops, but it was done by an organization overseas uh, called Transformational Leaders, and they came and trained a, a bunch of, of leaders here in South Africa and went to this transformational leadership thing. And uh, these guys who have trained organizations all around the world, Fortune 500 organizations, uh, and just so many different things, seen incredible success, said this. They said, Jamie, in all of our research, probably the single biggest reason for people not being successful is the inability to take personal responsibility for their lives. Um, I thought, what? Like, there must be other things. So, like, it's the inability to take personal responsibility for their lives. It's the inability to not make excuses about things. Um, uh, I was watching, as uh, Christine and I have talked about, I was watching uh, that uh, Formula One series on Netflix. What's it? Drive to Survive? Um, and in the first series is uh, uh, the two Haas drivers, and uh, uh, the one I think is Grosjean. Uh, he's one of the Haas drivers at that time. But he, man, he keeps on having crashes. And all the time, in his like earpiece, he keeps on blaming other people. He was like, oh, the track, the this. Eventually, the Haas boss is like, will you just stop making excuses? And I, I think sometimes that's the story of our lives. The story of our lives is that sometimes we, are, we just don't take personal responsibility. It's everyone else's fault for why I am not moving forward. It's everyone else's fault for why I didn't get the work done. It's everyone else's fault for why I'm in the situation that I'm in. It's everyone else's fault for what's going on in the world. None of it is mine. It's, it's everything else. I didn't have enough money. I didn't this. Uh, you know, you didn't tell me this. Oh, you know, I had a bad day yesterday. Oh, you know, like there's excuses after excuses after excuses. I think one of the things that you notice about people who do things well is they just never seem to make excuses. Um, I was showing up this uh, uh, once. Uh, my brother and I, we, we, uh, we worked together and uh, we had to do a similar amount of work and we went through a similar thing. We were in Germany, whatever, whatever. We get back. My brother's done it all. And I'm like, oh, we went to Germany and this. I didn't do any of the work. And I felt like so terrible. I was like, yo, he just did it. I don't know when he did it. I don't know how he found the time for it. But I thought I had 10 legitimate excuses for not doing the work. And he just still got it done, um, and which sa saved me at, at that point. Um, but personal taking responsibility for our lives, I think, is one of the things that moves us forward. The guy who got his, power, his talent taken away from him did not live a life of taking personal responsibility. He found everything else to blame. Um, I wrote here that excuses are often the clearest indicator of the areas of our lives that we haven't taken responsibility for. And I don't know if you've done this. I've done this before but is try to audit my own life and count how many times I've made an excuse in the day. Um, I don't know if you've ever done that before, but sometimes you'd be surprised how many times at different points you make an excuse. And when you do, 
Is there an area in your life that you haven't taken responsibility for? Are you always making excuses at work? Do your bosses feel like they can't trust you because every time you get given something to do, they know you're going to have an excuse and blame someone for not doing it? We need to take personal responsibility. Uh, the next point, and the last two, I'll be quick and then we'll close, is fear. Um, I, I think the fear, fear is the enemy of all things good in the world. Um, fear is how wickedness reigns in our world. Um, I, a couple of years ago, just at the start of COVID, I was researching courage, uh, trying to understand why courage used to be held as the cheaper virtues uh, in, in societies. That courage used to be the most important virtue, uh, whereas courage now in a modern society is hardly something that people talk about. You know, love is the, the cheaper virtues and, and maybe some others, but we talk very little about courage. Um, and, and one of the writers said, the reason why courage is most important is because you can't do any of the other virtues without courage. You need courage to act righteously. Where fear reigns, wickedness reigns. Where fear reigns, wickedness reigns. Fear is our body's response to danger. It's our body's response to preserve ourselves. And when we live in constant fear, we live in constant state of self-preservation. And self-preservation is the worst way to build a healthy society and a healthy organization. If we constantly live in fear, wickedness will reign. What happens to the third guy? He essentially says that he was fearful. The reason for his apathy, the reason for him not doing something was because he was scared. He said this, I knew that you are a hard master, harvesting where you have not shown and gathering where you have not scattered seeds. So I was afraid. I was afraid. He was gripped by fear. And that fear paralyzed him. I wonder for us here, how many of us need courage right now to move forward in our lives? How many of us feel at different points like we're paralyzed by fear? The inability to move forward with what God has entrusted us or even to move forward in our jobs is that we are paralyzed by fear. Whether the fear of man, whether the fear of failure, whether the fear of getting into trouble, uh, whatever the fear may be, what areas have fear gripped our lives that are preventing us from actually moving forward. This guy was gripped by fear, and that fear paralyzed him to inactivity. You and I need courage. We need courage if we're going to live in this world. We need courage if we're going to bring righteousness. We need courage if we're going to work well. We need courage if we're going to do what God has called us to do in this life. We 
We need courage if, as in the first week, we talked about taking chaos, disorder, brokenness, and emptiness and turning that into fruitfulness and order. We need courage for where fear reigns, wickedness reigns. And the righteous will be courageous. Um, I always uh, love this line from the movie The Princess Diaries. Great, great source of wisdom. But in The Princess Diaries, uh, uh, the one guy says to the princess, says, uh, courage is not the absence of fear but it's the understanding that something is more important than the fear itself. Uh, courage doesn't mean that we never feel afraid. It just means we can act beyond the fear that we feel right now. And the final thing as I close is essentially this parable is set in the context of Jesus asking his disciples, what are you going to do with your life? What are you going to do with your life? Uh, what, what is your purpose? Uh, what, how are you going to use your life? And when you get to the end of the life, your life, are you going to be found wanting? Um, Jesus is essentially asking his disciples this. He's saying, I am going to go. And when I come back, am I going to find you having done nothing with what I have entrusted you? Um, and, and I think that's a question of all of us. It's a question of purpose. And, and my hope as we've gone through this work series, and Callum will talk a little about work as renewal, um, but as we've gone through this, this work series, my hope is that we will understand even as we go to work, that's part of why we've been created. We've been created to be people who imitate God, and God is the ultimate worker. God is the ultimate worker, the one who takes chaos and disorder and turns it into beauty and life and fruitfulness and order. God is the one who can take brokenness and emptiness and work and through his work brings that into absolute wonder and beauty. We, as people who have been created in the image of God, are to take what God has given us and bring beauty and order and life into the brokenness of society and the world that we live in. We have purpose. What are you doing with your life? Yeah. Do we live every day as if we're just going through the motions, forgetting that we're stewards, maybe being gripped by fear? I think one of the challenges we have in South Africa is that we all live with a low-level bit of anxiety, a little bit of stress, a little bit of fear through just the constant state of turmoil or crime or whatever's going on in, in the country. The challenge is, will we allow that fear to paralyze us? Or will we find courage? Are we going to put off something for another day? Or are we going to immediately take what we've been given and start putting it to work. What are you doing with your life? Jesus' parable is a reminder, don't be found unaware. Like, don't, don't be caught of God. Don't be caught of God. 
One day, all of us will give an account for our work. We'll give an account for our lives. One day, you're going to give an account to your boss, and hopefully, if you put some of these things in, you'll be a good worker. But more importantly, we're going to give an account to Jesus for our lives, for using what he has given us. And maybe that will be talents, the talents you have, not the talents this is talking about. But it will also be the resources you have, the time you have, the education you have, the privilege that you have, etc., etc., etc. We can go through all of that and go, what have you done with that? And are we going to become like God, that as he shapes us to become more and more like Christ, that we ourselves see ourselves as workers, as people who can enter into dark, disordered, crazy and empty spaces and bring about beauty and fruitfulness and order uh, through his name. Can I pray for us? Lord, I pray for, for all of us as we've gone through this work series and as we finish it next week. Um, my prayer is that we would not create a dichotomy between um, our faith and our workplace. We would not, um, you know, think of church as something we do on Sunday and then uh, the rest of the week we just live however we want. But I pray, Lord, that uh, you would have stirred within our hearts that you've called us to be workers. And as we go to work, we'd be filled with purpose. Stewards, stewards of your resources to bring about good, prosperity, profit into the world. I pray, Lord, that you would give us the strength to do that, to work well in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, that you would give us the courage where we feel fearful I pray, Lord, that you would give us the urgency where we procrastinate. I pray, Lord, that you would give us, uh, you would help us to take responsibility where we keep on making excuses. I pray, Lord, that you would give us purpose where we feel aimless, that you, by your Spirit, would uh, be at work in our lives and, uh, and help us to do good work well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Bless you all. Uh, have a good evening and a good week. Remember, next week is our last week here at, uh, at Trinity. So have a good week, everyone.